Hi, my name is Ramila, and this is Secret Life of Sibs. Millions of people across the world have special needs that affect their daily lives. We often hear about their parents' experiences, but we rarely hear about the people that grew alongside them, the siblings that are fundamentally changed by this experience. I'm one of those siblings, and I hope to share the stories of many more. Our guest today is Michaela Cruz, an occupational therapy student at Missouri State. So hi, Michaela. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for for being here today and agreeing to come talk to us. Absolutely. So, you know, so we can give our listeners a bit of context. Tell me about yourself, a little bit about, you know, your sibling and, and what you're up to nowadays. Sure thing. Like Ramila said, my name is Michaela Cruz. I'm 26 years old and I'm a lifelong native of Joplin, Missouri. I currently live in Springfield, Missouri, where I am seated at Missouri State's Occupational Therapy Program. I am set to graduate this year and I'm so thrilled to kickstart my career in occupational therapy. I have a biological brother. His name is Gabe and he is four years younger than I am. He's about a foot taller and a million times better looking than I am, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) And uh, he was diagnosed with severe nonverbal autism at the age of six when he um, was enrolled into the school system. But before then, he had received a pervasive developmental disorder diagnosis. So yeah, Gabe and I had always just kind of been like a package deal. You weren't going to get me without Gabe and you weren't going to get Gabe without me. And we've had such a beautiful story, and I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you tonight. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear more about that story. And I feel you on the foot taller and more handsome, because that's also <laughs> also my brother. <laughs> oh, it's um, the worst. It's, oh, hey, I'm down here on the floor. But okay. hey. Yeah, no, he's somehow, he, my brother's five foot ten now. My mom mm-hmm. swears that he keeps, he's still growing, even though we're 21. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I want to leave the floor open to yeah, you. Sure. So like, I guess, what do you want to share kind of how you like to verbalize your story, yours and Gabe? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think I've always told people that it's my story, but it's all, you know, it's always been Gabe's story. I feel like I've always kind of shared Gabe's you know, his start, where he is now and where he's headed. And I started telling that story when I was pretty young. I kind of stepped into the sibling identity when I was like 16. You know, that was something I was really proud of. You know, I just felt the world didn't understand Gabe like I did. And so I wanted the world to understand Gabe like I did. And as I've come in now to more clarity as an adult, I feel like that story has changed a lot. Because I feel like in the past, I had done a lot of sharing about Gabe and not a whole lot about myself. And that kind of caught up with me in the end. You know, I was, everyone was like, so what do you do? (laughs) I'm like, but Gabe, Gabe is everything. Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess I'll just kind of start off from the beginning and kind of go in a chronological presentation. But I was, I was four when Gabe was born, obviously. And I did not want a little brother. I wanted a sister and I was just (laughs) like, demanding to the heavens that Gabe would be returned and that I would get a sister. (laughs) And 
Uh, by the time Gabe was like mobilizing in one of those like baby walkers, I tried selling him off at a family rummage sale for 25 cents. <laughs> I feel like inflation would probably make him more, probably like a thousand dollars or more, maybe even, maybe even more so invaluable than he, than it was back then. That was, that's one of the few things I remember about our childhood specifically. And, you know, I, in recent months, I've been talking to my mom about like, how that was presented to me. Did we have a heart to heart? Did we, were you just, Gabe has autism. And my mom kind of like always described it as, I think you always knew that Gabe was just different. And I remember certain parts of myself growing up. Like I was always like really talkative and really sociable. I never knew a stranger, you know? So I kind of just, I could understand that maybe I had that perspective for Gabe, like growing up, you know, childhood was really, really difficult. A lot of things were happening behind closed doors mm -hmm. that the world never knew about or that yeah. was never shared. But then when we walked outside of those doors, we we put on a show like we were Broadway's best actors. You know, <laughs> like we were we were out there like front and center stage, like trying, trying to look like everybody else. And, right. you know, it was just really challenging to balance that, I guess. But my, our parents divorced when I was 16 and our dad moved out pretty quickly afterwards and we lived with our mother mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like I took on an even greater magnitude of that parental role. When my parents divorced, I took on even more responsibility than I did as a child. You know, I was just always... I feel like I was at every appointment. I felt like I was at every IEP. I was at every case manager meeting. I was I was taking him to every screening, every consult. You know, I was with my parents, obviously, but like I felt like it was my responsibility to be there also and be an advocate for him because I remember sitting at board tables with people in business suits saying that, you know, this isn't possible for Gabe. He doesn't qualify for this. Right. He's not going to be able to receive this service, blah, 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 blah. You know, it just was the bureaucracy of advocating for somebody mm -hmm. uh, in that arena is just taxing in and of itself. And then being a young person, you know, sitting there and listening, like, why can't my brother have these things? Right. So it was just like a very interesting childhood. I, I can't honestly say that I remember a whole lot about my childhood mm -hmm. because of the sibling trauma that I and learn more, learning more and more about every day. And so as far as like any memorable stories about Gabe and I, I don't really have any. Unfortunately, all I, all I do remember is, is the trauma and that, yeah. although it, you know, albeit unfortunate, you know, it, it's a part of who, who I am and it's a part of who he is also. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of things that you just said, really resonated with me. You know, when you say you, you ask your parents, like, when did you have a sit down conversation? Like, you know, Gabe is different. Right. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever asked my parents this, but I'm pretty sure the answer would be like, also, I think you always knew. Right. And, you know, it's funny that you say you were always like super sociable, super talkative, because that was also me as a, as a baby. And my, my mom always tells the story of like, whenever we'd go out to grocery stores, my brother and I would be sitting in the cart and I would introduce to everyone like, hi, I'm Ramila. This is Rohan. We're twins. I talk. He doesn't. <laughs> That's I, We're very marketable human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, know. I would just say that to 
like any passing human that I get attention from. And I, I wonder if any of that like extroversion is almost is almost like compensatory. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought that way. <laughs> yeah, I like am learning more and more about myself, like literally every moment of every day. And I had like always like I never was wanting to like broadcast that I was an extrovert because there was such a stigma at the time when though when those two terms were coming into like full in the cer- in the social arena and I was like, Hi everyone. I wanna be everyone's friend. I'm not gonna come out right and say right. that I am an extrovert, but you know, everyone can just make their assumptions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you also allude to Clearly, you had a lot of responsibility growing up, especially, you know, after your dad moved out and you what a lot of what you remember is the trauma. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to, you know, there's so many dimensions to that word, to that word trauma. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. kind of what dimensions you feel back to you most. Yeah, for sure. So I'll just kind of like preface and say that I it's just been a little under two years since I had kind of considered myself having a sibling trauma experience that was all and is still all very new to me. You know, I, I honestly, it wasn't even anything related to Gabe that made me realize that I had sibling trauma at the time I was working as a therapy technician at a horseback therapeutic horseback riding center. And I was working one-on-one with kiddos all the time, working alongside great therapists. And there was just this one day when this, when one of our riders came and he was not in the mood to ride, he was, you know, it's just one of those bad days. I, you know, I feel like everyone can relate with that for sure. And it was just very unfortunate series of, of things that went down and the child ended up like kicking me in the shins. And I remember carrying him out to the car and saying our goodbyes for the day. And I just remember like standing in our staff lounge and I'm like, bent over a, one of those fold tables you get from Sam's club, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm tremoring and I'm just like, I'm, I can't speak. I'm trembling. I'm sweating. I have sweat pooling in my palms. And I'm like, I'm like, I know I've had this experience before. Surely like maybe I'm, you know, getting sick or something's not right. And then, you know, fast forward to a few months later, I'm telling my therapist that I had connected with, I had this experience happen to me. Like it happened to me before, but like, I never recognized it as a, a traumatic response or to, to a stimuli or anything. You know, that was, I was just like blown away that that was my experience. And going through EMDR has been really eye-opening for me to kind of relate more to my trauma experience. I feel like When people talk about trauma in the past, I was kind of feeling more like dismissive toward that term because I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't on the battlefield. You know, I I didn't watch my, my fellow soldiers die. You know, I felt like that term trauma connected more with, with our soldiers overseas Mm -hmm. and those who are currently serving. I felt like I had no say I had no right to say that I had experienced trauma when my grandfather was still alive and he served in the Vietnam war. Like he had a traumatic experience. That's what, that's like what we understand as trauma today. But there's also something to be said now for me today that I endured some pretty tough physical assaults that no other person my age 
should have ever gone through. It's just wild to think about reflecting back. I thought that was like a normal experience. You know, I was like, man, like surely other siblings are out here. We're just, we're just duking it out. You know, like surely there has to, it has to be everybody. And I dealt with a lot of mental trauma because as, as the physical trauma kind of built up more and more reflecting back, I feel like I internalized more and more and I was unkind to myself. I, I felt like even more responsible of taking care of my own self and that I shouldn't burden my parents with how I feel about my brother having just done X, Y, Z, you know? So it kind of just felt like they were compounded one another. Like I had, I had the physical assaults happen to me. And then I had the mental trauma of not feeling supported, not feeling affirmed, not feeling acknowledged or heard about my experiences because the the people around me in my life at the time were like, you you control how you react to these situations and not how these situations happen to you. Right. So I, I was always kind of, it was almost like an ignorance for me. It was almost like, this is, no, this is a normal experience. This is a normal experience. This is going to be fine. This, you know, it just, this, it is what it is. And I think I, I can't say I think, but reflecting back, I, I feel as though I really overcompensated Gabe into my identity because Gabe was all I had. Yeah. Gabe was, Gabe was all that people knew me for. And yeah, so that the trauma and, you know, that's why, you know, you and I are part of that project with Sibnet, mm-hmm. and that's just going to be a really eye-opening experience for the whole community right. to get to know more about, gosh, what is everyone's individual definition of sibling trauma? And because, you know, you've heard it said that when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like the statement can be translated into you've met one autism sibling you've met one autism sibling you've met one autism parent you've met one autism parent like there is just there i mean we have so many like inherent shared characteristics between one another for sure but like our experiences were so 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 vastly different different. Yeah, yeah for sure yeah, I, I see that's the thing. Like I relate to you on so many of the these like categories of okay, yeah, there's physical trauma, there's mental trauma, but like the details of that, it's different for all of us. Yeah, for sure. And like for me, something that, you know, I've you know, have, have thought about is my brother used to elope a lot. So elopement for, you know, those of you who aren't familiar is basically he would run away <laughs> and he, the scary thing was that he has no sense of direction or not sense of direction, sense of danger. And so our worst fear was, okay, he's going to run into the road. He's going to run into a parking lot and nobody's going to see him. And, you know, the obvious thoughts come to mind. And I still remember when I was six, my you know, he ran away from us at a Walmart, at our local Walmart. I was supposed to be keeping an eye on him. Perfect place. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was supposed to be keeping an eye on him, but we had met this family friend at the register and we, we were talking and he got distracted and I look over, he's not there. And Love that. he was only, he was only gone for, I want to say seven, eight minutes, but oh my goodness, I just remember it feeling like an hour. And 
you know, they made an announcement on the intercom and they were asking like, like us, you know, what was he wearing? And I was like, how can I not remember what he was wearing? <laughs> yeah, of course you were supposed to know at six years old what your brother was wearing and you were supposed to remember that yeah. also. Come on, Romila. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, I just remember like, it was my, me and my parents and we were, it was the scariest like 10 minutes of my I life. I can't imagine. And then, you know, he was, yeah. he was, we haven't eventually found him. And of course he was in the candy aisle and he had found the M&Ms, which was at the time his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I think of that. And then, you know, there were other incidences too, where he, you know, would try to run away or, you know, he locked himself inside our house without us before <laughs> accidentally. Yeah. And I was thinking about like how those experiences have shaped who I am now. And I realized, you know, I sometimes like I have this tendency to be like kind of uptight and kind of like, you know, I will double check things a million times. Like when I'm watching Rohan, I am extremely attentive. Is everything locked? Is everything, is there any Mm -hmm. way that he's going to like, it's kind of like hypervigilance in a way. Um, oh, yeah. And in a lot of ways, I like that's something I don't like about myself in terms of I wish I could let go. Like, I wish I could just be 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 at peace. Yeah. yeah. Be like more free. Embrace, embrace it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I really want to be that. But I, I couldn't be that person growing up because I was always worried about, you know, the possible danger that he could get into. And I shared that responsibility with my parents. And right. And so I'd. <laughs> I also have some difficulty with the word trauma as for the reasons you said, right? Like trauma is seen as such a like severe word almost, Mm -hmm. but like part of trauma is also that shapes who you are for better or for worse. Right. Um, And so for sure. Yeah. And so that experience is something that I think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely relating to you on the hypervigilance and the uptight and I don't know if that you'll be able to relate with this also, but I, if, if my, if I am not verbalizing something to you, my face definitely is like, I, <laughs> it's so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kindly termed RBF, um, <laughs> yeah. but I also call it my alter ego because I just, there's just sometimes I cannot filter her. She, she is just something else. Like I, <laughs> I, and like, I'm, I try so hard to be so vigilant every day about my nonverbals because I spent all of my life living with someone who was nonverbal, mm-hmm. non-speaking, however you choose to designate that. But, you know, I just, and now as I'm preparing to be an occupational therapy practitioner, I, I've got more people calling me out. They're like, Michaela, check out your face. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> what? And they're like, yeah, you're, you've, what are you saying with your face right now? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't control her. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I'm as on one side, like, yes, I was so hyper-focused on my brother and his safety. Mm-hmm. And even now as an adult and we don't live together even, even, anymore, I still feel that way. I still have concerns. I'm still triple quadruple checking everything all the time mm-hmm. in my own home. I mean, everything. So I'm definitely like echoing with you as far as like feeling like I don't want to embrace these parts of myself, even though I know that they are a gift and other people will never be able to quite appreciate them the way that we sometimes do. Yeah. 
I I appreciate you mentioning that kind of nonverbal communication because it's something <laughs> that I I again have thought about because you know my brother's also nonverbal and so right. that means that we really grew up or I, like I grew up very attuned to those nonverbal cues like what his face oh, yeah. is like giving away like what his body language is telling us like you know is he getting sleepy or getting hungry or all those things right we're constantly guessing based on right. those cues mm-hmm. and i think I, I call it kind of like a superpower where now i feel like i'm so attuned always oh i love that <laughs> i know it's a positive spin on it i am like yeah, yeah i'm always so attuned to people's nonverbal communication and sometimes to a extent where it's like not helpful in that I misread or like I will judge like I'll like you know say I walk into my friend's in my roommate's room and she'll look you know not herself or you know she's not as happy she doesn't look appear as happy as she usually is I'll be what's wrong are you like, are you okay? What, and she'll be like, I'm just tired. Bro. I'm I'm okay. It's like, it's. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah. I gotta fix you. Yeah. I gotta I gotta be able to help you. Yeah. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm so there with you. So there with you. Yeah. Like that feeling of responsibility constantly for the people mm-hmm. in your life, whether they want it or not, whether they need it or not, um, mm-hmm. which is exhausting. It is. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I wanted to ask you, you know, before I ask my other questions that I have, um, yeah, kind sure. of what your really, uh, you know, what your and Gabe's relationship is like now, like how involved you are in his day to day and um, mm-hmm. yeah, what that looks for you. Yeah. I kind of like to give some background about that. You know, I, even before I met my husband, my husband now, I was always like, Gabe's going to live with me. We're going to live happily ever after. We're going to be conjoined at the hip. Like, me and Gabe forever. And that was something that was really important to me. When I met Kiefer, I made that pretty clear. I was like, you know, I, I have plans in my long term that that Gabe come and live with me. And you know, that was a conversation that was really a deal breaker. But you know, Kiefer and Gabe's relationship has always been great. And that's just like one of those additional affirming things. You know, everyone else has, oh, he got me the perfect ring or he went to Jared or, you know, whatever. But I'm like, I'm like Gabe and Kiefer are very good friends. Like I remember even before we got married, Kiefer would come over to the house and I'd be like, oh, Gabe, Kiefer's here. And he would like, he has, Gabe just has this like bolsterous laugh and he also doesn't have any teeth. And so he's just got this toothless grin on his face. And I just wish, just wish I like had a picture of that mm-hmm. and could like press a button and hear his laugh every time I think about it. But, you know, that was, that was something that I was kind of like naive about at the time. I like was, I was just committed. I was like, I can have both. I can be married and I can have Gabe. Like I can do this. Yeah. And then as our relationship matured and as we, you know, got engaged and we're planning our wedding, you know, that kind of became more and more of something that got more heavy over time. I was like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I want Gabe to be happy and successful and care about his safety. And right. But then I've got other people in my life telling me that I need to live my life. And I'm like, I don't know what that, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Like, I've always had Gabe. Like Gabe is my my purpose. life. Gabe my is life my is identity. Gabe. Yeah. My life is Gabe. Like yeah. truly, truly, truly. I that was how I envisioned my lifetime, and I was just like, "There's no way." Like I am feeling so heavy with the thought that I would have to take 
Gabe with me. I just feel like I can't not take Gabe with yeah. me. And it was never like a spoken, my parents were never like, you're going to take Gabe if you like it or not. You know, it was, it was always like my self-assumed responsibility yeah. to take, to take Gabe with me because, you know, you, as a sibling, I, I feel like you're, you're always thinking about no one can do it better than I can. Like yeah. Gabe and I have this special relationship. No one understands Gabe like I do. Mm-hmm. No one can de- de-escalate Gabe like I can. No, you know, the nonverbals, picking up on those cues, everything. Yeah. Like I know everything intricately about Gabe and being able to let that go. I obviously have not because I like am getting like chills throughout my body just thinking about it. So it feels it feels really like visceral at yeah. the moment. But like being able to like advocate for Gabe was a huge healing point for me to be like, you know, talking to my parents, like we really need to consider Gabe's happiness and Gabe's future and his success. What is that going to look like? And be having to facilitate those conversations with your parents is hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not something you just like, Hey mom, you want to put Gabe in a home? You know, it's like not, nobody wants to have those conversation. mm -mm. No. And that was very, that was made very clear to me in the early days of that conversation, but it took persistence and it took a lot of realization from both from both parties really that Gabe's happiness was going to look different than what we had envisioned for the first 18 19 years of his life. Yeah. So here in the state of Missouri, I think it's a national thing, but Gabe went to high school until he was 21. Right. And I was 23 when when Kiefer and I got married mm-hmm. and he continued to live with my mother until the the spring of 2020. <laughs> I feel like 2020 just carries such a brevity right. nowadays. I feel like, oh, wasn't a good year for mm-hmm. anybody, for anything at all whatsoever. It was not a good year. <laughs> no, um, no, it was not. No. And that, man, that transition, I, I can't, I can't even do it justice to try and describe it with words. There's just such a, it's such a double-edged sword conversation that I think you and I could talk about for hours on end, really. but. Mm-hmm. Golly, how do I want to, I don't even know that I'm even going to be able to do it justice, but like seeing your loved one enter into a new season of their life and have the potential to be successful and to just have like everything like manifest for them to be independent, to have their own space, to be supported, to be safe, to be healthy, just all the things we want for everybody we love, right? Mm -hmm. Just all the things and man I just really it leaves me speechless still to this day because like it was such a fight to get there for Gabe right you know we advocated and fought and talked and wrote papers and you know stayed up late and took care of him when he was like every ounce of our beings was invested into Gabe Mm -hmm. and to visualize like me sitting with him on his front porch that day it was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. It was like Memorial Day weekend or something, you know, just picture Midwest yes. bipolar weather vibes, you know, it was a great day in, in the Midwest that I'm day. I'm campus, um, so I feel you. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was just a beautiful day and Gabe was so, wanted to be so close to me. And I just, I've always just had wholesome moments with Gabe that had just been like super validating mm-hmm. for me. And so like that that day really just kind of marked a whole new chapter of our story 
because we went from we went from seeing each other, going over to mom's house and seeing him because he was still living there from me living with him for the last 18 years of his life. It's just kind of kind of gradually transitioned over time. And today our relationship, I can't envision a better relationship for Gabe and I than I, than I can today because it's something that I feel like I've invested my whole being into okay. to, to manifest for him. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> I I can't be, I mean, we could talk even more about, you know, trusting your loved one into somebody else's care. That is not perfect. It will never be perfect. Mm-hmm. But I just have such a peace <clears throat> of knowing that Gabe has the potential to feel however he wants to feel. I, I want him to feel happy and safe where he lives. He has a great roommate that he lives with mm-hmm. and they're both very social. So I just, it's like a gift for me to have, to hear that Gabe's like hanging out with people and he's not just stuck in the house. I mean, he kind of is stuck in the house all the time, but (laughs) to be going out to the community and not having behaviors, to be going out in the community and to not have a label or a stigma placed on him because he's having a behavior in the produce section at Walmart, you know, like, Right. It's just such a gift for me to be at ease, a, a little bit of ease, might I preface, not, <laughs> not free spirited about it. But, you know, it's just like Gabe is getting the life I've always wanted him to have. And, you know, I'm getting ready to move back home this year to the Joplin area. And so, like, I'll be able to see him more than I currently do now because I live about an hour and a half away for school right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to be back with Gabe and like being able to check in on him and, you know, go have dinner with him and just try and share life with him again. Cause it's been, it's been two years since I've seen him on a regular basis. You know, I pop in when I'm in town or what have you, right. but it's just taken on such a huge, a different dynamic to entrust somebody else to care for your loved one. Yeah. And to be able to have the freedom to visit them literally whenever you want to is a great gift because that's, I feel like that's where, I don't want to say control, but maybe I do. I think that's where you take control of the relationship. You make the relationship what you want it to be. And I've always, I've always believed that Gabe and I have had a beautiful relationship, but now I get to live the rest of my life having a beautiful relationship with him because I get to share life with him freely and not feel like I'm totally obligated or responsible for every single part of his day. Like I get to go over to his house and sit on the couch with him and watch DVDs and YouTube videos and eat gummy bears and drink chocolate milk. Like that that is, it's absolutely the dream (laughs) and not being able to have to worry about his medication and you know, when's his next shower going to be and and his meals and every, you know, every single intricate detail about his day. I, you know, there's so, it's such a, it's a freeing feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I, not to say that I don't think about those things when I visit him, because like we had discussed earlier, you know, it's the hypervigilance. It's that, okay, is everything really spick and span here? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm always marching into his room first thing and I'm making sure that everything is folded properly in his chest of drawers, you know, don't get, don't get sloppy on me. (laughs) Like we got to keep things, we got to keep things tight, a type a around here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I know it's like a, it's a bittersweet type of transition, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but 
I'm I'm glad that it, it seems like it's giving your relationship with him a chance to really oh, yeah. you know, be what you want it to be and be something that's really healthy and you don't, you know, grow to resent. Because that's, you know, one of my like worst fears is that yeah. I never want to resent my brother because yeah. I am who I am. Like, I feel the same way. Like, I am who I am because of him. I, yeah. I you know, write a lot about my relationship or my experience as a sibling. I obviously am very involved in that community. And that's because it truly like shaped who I am in so many different ways from who I want to be professionally, like what I want to do with my life. I mean, you're an OT, you know, caring profession, (laughs) but (laughs) I know how it is going to med school. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We know, we know. know. Uh, But, you know, from that to like all those little like, quirks about me like how you know how I can, I can be like micromanaging or like like, like I said mm-hmm. like very hyper vigilant and like just everything I am like I really I would be so like sometimes I sit and wonder hmm, who would I be if I had a twin yeah. a twin brother that was neurotypical I don't think I don't think one ounce of me would still be the same <laughs> no way yeah, like, I always get, like, super trippy when, like, my husband decides to take me to a Marvel movie or something, like Doctor Strange mm-hmm. or whatever, and he, there's, like, the concept introduced of the multiverse. so many different options, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I would ever elect to have my life without Gabe, like, I, you know, and reflecting on, like, uh, identity standpoint, you know, I feel like our identity is so much more than who or what we are. Mm-hmm. Our identity is a, like, a collection of all the great and wonderful and all the bad and ugly things that we are. And it unlocks us to something greater, you know, from a professional standpoint, like we are, I feel like as though as siblings, we're set apart from the others. We are something to be desired. Like we have so many inherent characteristics about ourselves that are spoken and unspoken that really give us a professional appeal. We're, I, you know, in my, through my program, I've been advised by a great advisor and she's, very aware of my story and my situation. I'm very transparent with her also. And, you know, she's always telling me that my future clients stand to benefit from how I see the world and how I, how I give care to others. And I feel like that's primarily, you know, back points right back to my sibling experience. And, you know, on a personal level, like I'm, as I'm embracing more of my sibling identity in a, in a different perspective, I feel like it's unlocked so many opportunities for us to get connected through SIBNET, for us to speak on panels, for, for us to be sitting here tonight and talking with one another and share it with the world. That's just, we, I feel like we dismiss our concept of identity too much. And I feel like it's, oh yeah, you know, whatever, but identity is really all that we are, Mm -hmm. you know, spoken, unspoken, everything. And it just, I feel like it just, needs to be either embraced for everything all that it is and all that it all that it should be and you know in preparing for this I was kind of thinking about talking about like how I've met some siblings that have never told a soul that they're a sibling except for their parents obviously yeah. and I was like so humbled by that because I'm like wow like that's that's pretty incredible that you still get to be the awesome sibling you are without having that like social like shift of how people know you're a sibling you know it's like the validation in a way that yeah it's like a yeah for sure 
And I've kind of lost my train of thought here because I got so enveloped in the identity concept. Oh, it's okay. But yeah, I just go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was just going to say that, yeah, like I, I've also met siblings who, yeah, like they're very private about their role within the, within the home and that, that could not be me. (laughs) Like I, I always say that I am an open book because like I, especially nowadays, I'm like, you know what? Like I am not the only one out there. It sometimes felt like it when I was like in school, like in, you know, elementary, middle, high. And I always kept very, you know, anything that was going on in my house with regards to, you know, his behaviors or, you know, any of that, I, I didn't share that with anybody. Like my friends, you know, they all had a lot of neurotypical siblings. And I was like, you know what, not only will they not get it, they don't need to know that doesn't, I don't want to bring down the mood. I don't want to impose that on them. And so all of that was kept to myself, but, but my identity, like they did know that, you know what, I do have a sibling like that. That's, you know, that's autistic. And I do have, you know, certain responsibilities in my house that other people might not. And I think I'm, I, I don't regret that. I don't, I ne- no, have, absolutely. I have never regretted telling someone that I'm a sibling. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I just think that, although I have had actually, you know, I have had people say, oh, like being a sibling, that seems to be like your whole identity. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> really. I'm going to make this my entire personality. Yeah, exactly. That's that, yeah, <laughs> that TikTok sound really comes to mind. But like, honestly, that's my reality. And if it's cringe to you, mm-hmm. if it is annoying to you, so be it, you know, right. but I am who I am because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I... I did want to, I have two questions that I ask okay. everyone that comes oh, of course. on this podcast. So the first of which is, what is one piece of advice you'd give someone else growing up in a family like yours? Okay. Let's see. What I, what I want to say is that I hope that you have something that motivates you in life. And I hope that it sparks your fire and it keeps you going because I know that the sibling experience can be hard and it can be an experience that dismisses your individuality, your personality. It dismisses everything human about you and it can't, or it can be. And I just would want to share that even though we spent most of our lives having the spotlight or the direction of attention shifted toward our siblings that you and I are just as deserving of love and security and care. And I would just encourage each of you listening to just be brave because I strongly believe that we were all born with all of the tools we needed to be successful in this life. And I believe that someday the bravery, the courage, the tenacity, all these amazing things about you mm-hmm. are going to be your greatest gift and fuel your identity and help you cope with the demons and the heartache that somehow just always finds its way back to you. You know, speaking from somebody that has experienced physical trauma, I have to say this to myself over and over again that I am not my past and I don't live in the past anymore. And I just, I encourage everyone to do themselves the favor of healing Mm -hmm. by being who you are and 
sharing who you want to become with the world, because I think that there is truly such healing in being in this space to have the opportunity to, to be here with you tonight is to just, to just be able to speak to somebody who is feeling inward and is feeling like they internalize and they can't, Mm -hmm. they're not, they're not brave enough to speak. I'm, I'm here, I'm listening. And I, I know you're out there have, have the bravery to step up and speak out for yourself because all we do have at the end of the day is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's a beautiful and scary thought that at the end of the day, all we have is ourselves, but I, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, it's 100% true and it just, that just means that we have to respect ourselves because that, that's, that is, yeah, at the end of the day, all we have. So um, mm-hmm. that is really wonderful advice. Thank you. You're welcome. And then the other question that I have is, mm-hmm. uh, what is one thing you wish people knew about life as a sibling to a special needs person? Mm. Um, hi, my name is Michaela. Let's be best friends because <laughs> there is so much power in community. And I literally have just, I just joined this community like last year and I could have never anticipated like having this opportunity with you or, you know, being able to speak on panels. There is so much power in community and connectedness. So ask about those resources. You know, I I feel like you and I have both been able to speak on some pretty important panels about talking to care providers about, you know, asking the question, are you okay? How are you doing? You know, just taking that extra minute or two at the end of a, a, a doctor's visit or what have you, you know, just asking if they're okay, because at the end of the day, it's the family unit that you're addressing and that you're treating. Right. And, you know, from the occupational therapy perspective, you know, we wouldn't do our clients justice without considering the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so take a look at the whole picture because we are here too. And I, I can't tell you how many times I reflect back on my life thinking what would have happened if my brother's pediatrician would have just asked me how I was doing. Would I still struggle with the things that I've struggled with in my life if I had been asked a simple question? You know, I feel like much of the world today, we're always sharing our perfect moments mm-hmm. and therefore leading a facade that we live perfect lives and highlighting the goodness and reflecting back now as an adult, like looking back on Facebook pictures and like Facebook memories or whatever, you know, I can just, I can hear the desire to be heard and accepted and loved in my younger self and see that desire in her eyes. And just, it's just, it's such a humbling moment to be like in an opportunity now where I can be on this platform and, and connect with others and, and say, I hear you, I see you because there's such a great gift of validation to be heard from somebody who understands what you've been through, even though the situation may not be the same because, you know, your family members and your friends, they might give you a nod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like really uncomfortable for me, but yeah, I hear you. And, but to be like heard and to be, to have someone come alongside you and just have a community, it's such a priceless gift. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. And, you know, it's not even to say to, you know, 
siblings that are our age now, you know, we grew up with siblings in our homes. And even though our situation looks different now, as we are trying to learn how to live our own lives, Mm -hmm. right. And to be, to, to find our identity outside of being a sibling, although it'd be challenging, please continue to check on us as siblings. Like we have had so much experience in our life that has undoubtedly shaped our, our experiences, the way we think, the way we view the world. I mean, everything, it can still be a challenging life to lead, to have all of this stuff you carry, you know, please don't like leave us behind because (laughs) we don't live with our sibling anymore. We're not their primary caregiver. You know, there's, there's there's so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I still struggle with things every day that, you know, I'm still processing and trying to, to, I wouldn't say get over, but get through and to overcome and to embrace and to heal from. And we have to have, we have to have a a sense of community to keep us going. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a little bit of guilt that we all carry to, to like, for not being that primary caregiver. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we deny ourselves the right to, the right to say, you know, this is how we feel as a sibling, but that role, Mm -hmm. uh, that role of like sister doesn't go away. Because what do, what do sisters do? They worry, they worry about their siblings. And And like mm -hmm. preparing for this tonight, like I was just thinking sibling is such like an enduring term, Mm -hmm. like, sister like sibling sister brother like that is a that is a title that you carry with you for like your entire life like even unto death Mm -hmm. and so you know i'm just i'm just thinking wow i hope that the world remembers me as so much more than a sibling because i have so much more i believe that i have so much more to offer to this world than just being a sibling you know like Mm -hmm. you and i are in the healthcare profession like we we stand to benefit and help so many other people that we encounter Mm -hmm. and have the privilege of serving and coming alongside and you know i just it's just a treasure just to be like to have that title of sibling but like to also be so much more yeah and i think to be to arrive at that takes a lot of healing and I'm like, I'm echoing with those listening tonight that are like, she's too positive. I don't, you know, this girl's crazy. (sighs) Like it has taken me so long. It's taken me so long to get here. I still have such a long way to go. And I I can only imagine that you resonate with that also, Romila, and just like being, just being able to appreciate where you are today. And and it's not the same place you were yesterday. And it's not going to be the same place that you are tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And the, this quote that comes to mind is we contain multitudes. We, all of us are, we are siblings, but we're also so much more like you said, and whether that's who we are professionally, whether that's who we are to our significant other, who we are to other people. Yeah. We're all so much and we are who we are in our entirety. And yes. Yeah. But finding community and finding that, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but finding a group of people that are also working through their, all of their identities, like it is such an amazing, an amazing gift. And because otherwise it is such isolating work. It is so lonely. Yeah. There was, there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to be where I am at today right now in this very moment without having connected with a fellow OT who is also a SIB. 
Shout out to Crystal. Love you so much. You know, I would have never been able to be here with you tonight if I had never met Crystal. And to be connected with Sibnet and to mm-hmm. be able to be connected and plugged into these opportunities to share more about the sibling experience and, mm-hmm. and being able to contribute to the growing body of literature that is that is sibling trauma and the sibling experience. I mean, it's just really invaluable and you know, the community can be small. It can start with me. Let's connect. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to connect with you and share life with you because we cannot do this alone. There is no way that I could, we could, you know, you and I are on the, the trauma research panel and mm-hmm. it's just, there's no way I could do this by myself. Thank goodness I have a group of people right. that I can, you know, we can understand one another and develop these constructs and ideas and get this thing rolling out. Because there's no way I could do it on my own power. And I feel like the same, the same is for life. You know, we need each other because I could look at myself in the mirror and be like, hello, self. Um, We had a terrible day. Do you want to know why? (laughs) It's just, it's, it feels like a never ending circle. Mm -hmm. But like when you, when, you know, I'm able to message you and, you know, we talk back and forth sometimes Mm -hmm. about just random things that we experience and share. And it's just, it's a sense of healing that I just, I can't describe. And I don't think anybody outside of the sibling experience community could quite understand. I feel like I could just mess you be like, it's been a day. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, girl, Tell I know. That. It's just been a day. Yeah, yeah for real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, such a such a tremendous gift here, for sure. Yeah. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for you know sharing everything that you did and being so real and being so open about your experience and, you know, your engaged story. It was. It was really gratifying to hear just all of your experiences and how your relationship with him has grown and will continue to grow. Yes. So thank you so much for being here and for agreeing yes, to do Yes, thank this. you for having me. Yeah. yeah, this is a great, this is a great resource. And I wish you nothing but success in the future for all the things you do. Because I know that even outside of being a sibling, you you've just got that. I mean, I just feel that that soul connection with you when I when I get to talk with you, and so I know that you're destined for great things. And thank you so much for this. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to peek into the life of Sibs with me and my guest Michaela. If you're a Sib, we hope you know that you're not alone. And if you're not a sibling, we hope you got to learn about a new perspective. Go ahead and follow to turn on notifications for upcoming episodes and look to the description box for a list of resources specifically for siblings. Welcome to The Secret Life, and see you next time.